Wow. Thank you, man. Thank you, choir. Take your Bibles, if you will. You know, I just want to say, I wasn't even planning to say this until that song just got to me just then. Here's the point of the message this morning. If you don't get anything else, if you really are stirred by the message of that song, that you're amazed that God could love you, that's how God wants us to treat other people. That we never forget our amazement that God could love us in spite of ourselves. He poured his grace and his mercy out upon us. And if God could save us, friend, he can save anybody. Several years ago, a man visited the Moody Church in Chicago on one occasion. It was a Sunday night. He walked into the church. His heart was filled with hate and bitterness. And in front of the sanctuary, down front, it's on. Um, there was written in flames, gas flames, at the front of the church, the scripture message, God is love. When the invitation was given that night, the man came forward to accept Christ as Savior and Lord. And after the service had ended, the pastor was curious. And he asked the man, Sir, what was it about the sermon that caused you to give your heart to the Lord tonight? To which the man replied, It wasn't the sermon. He said, Well, if it wasn't the sermon, then maybe it was a song. What song was it? that inspired you to do this? He said, oh, the music was beautiful tonight, but it wasn't the music even that stirred me. The pastor pressed further. Well, if it wasn't the sermon, and if it wasn't the music, then what prompted you to come forward and make your decision for Christ? The man pointed to the front of the sanctuary. And he said, when I came in here tonight, I saw that sign. God is love. He said, my heart was filled with hatred and bitterness. And as I sat there through that sermon and through all of that music, I could not keep from looking at that sign. And all throughout the service, I kept thinking about those words. God is love. He said, it broke my heart. And that's the reason that I'm here to give my heart to him tonight. Because I want to know that love in my own heart.
Friend, in 1 John chapter 2, John wants us to understand that if we've truly been saved, if we're truly born again, if we truly know God, then we ought to have the love of God in our hearts. So here's my question this morning as we begin. Do you know the Lord? It's like a question. If you know the Lord, is your heart filled with love or do you still have some hatred, bitterness, resentment within? You see, an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ is one who is controlled by the love of Christ in his or her heart. Here's what I want you to take away from the message this morning. An authentic disciple knows that he truly knows Christ by his love for other Christians. An authentic disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ knows that he knows Christ by the love that he has for other believers. Well, let's look here. John develops the social test. There's three tests in chapter 2, the moral test, the social test, and the doctrinal test. Last week, we looked at the moral test, which determines a person's behavior. And we said that each characteristic of these tests, each of these tests is to um, increase a certain characteristic in our lives. So with the moral test, the test of obedience, John is trying to help us to understand that we ought to be increasing in righteousness as a, as a believer. Now he comes to the social test, the test of love. And he wants us to understand that if we truly know God, if we truly have accepted Christ, then love, the love of God that amazes us, ought to be increasing in our lives, and we ought to be loving more and more as we go through our Christian journey. So let's, he says, there are two things I want you to see in these verses. It's divided in two parts. First of all, I want you to see that John gives us here a theology of Christ's love in verses 7 and 8. Now, he transitioned into this second test with a theological discussion of a command that is both old and new. Look at what it says. Let's read it again in verses 7 and 8. He says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. Now, while the command itself is not stated clearly here in verses 7 and 8, it seems logical that the command to love others, it, it is the command to love others that is John mentions in verses 9 through 11, which we'll get to in just a moment. John declared that this command is not a new commandment, but an old commandment. It's not a novel idea. It was an old command they had had from the beginning. It's been around since Old Testament times. On one occasion, a lawyer came to Jesus and asked him in Matthew 22, he said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Do you remember what Jesus said? 
He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus was quoting the Old Testament. He was referring to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. So, love is an old commandment. However, love was made new in Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 13, Jesus said this, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So while it's an old command, Jesus filled it with new meaning. Its newness can be seen in four different ways. So if you're taking notes, let me just give you why this command is both old and new. And I want to give you four reasons why it's new. First of all, in Jesus, love became new in its emphasis. Now, in the Old Testament, God's law was primary. God spoke to His people through the law. God commanded His people to obey the law. However, in the New Testament, the emphasis is not on law, but on love. Why? Because love fulfills the law. Jesus put it this way. Go back to Matthew 22. Look what he says. He says, the command is, you shall love the Lord your God, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in verse 40 of Matthew 22, he says this. On these two commandments depend all of the law And the prophets. Now what does that mean? If I love God, I will love my neighbor. And if I love my neighbor, guess what? I'm not going to steal from him. I'm not going to covet his house. I'm not going to commit adultery with his wife. I'm not going to bear false witness against him. If I love my neighbor, all of the other commandments fall into place in this one command. Love your neighbor. So Jesus said, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So love became new in its emphasis with Jesus. Now, that's why Jesus said loving God and loving others are the two greatest commandments. Love fulfills the law of God. Second, in Jesus, love not only became new in its emphasis, but in its example. There's no better example of love than that demonstrated by God the Father and Jesus the Son on the cross of Calvary. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, agape love is an unselfish, 
sacrificial kind of love. It's a love that gives and expects nothing in return. In other words, it says, look, I love you in spite of yourself. I love you regardless of the circumstances. It puts the needs of others before your own. That's the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. He is our example and we are to be the world's example of his love. Third, in Jesus, love became new in its extent. Now, in Jesus' day, love was not new, but few considered it to be an obligation beyond one's family or close friends or at its widest, one's race or ethnic um, uh, origin group. But Jesus taught that the love he was promoting extended to all, irregardless of race, language, social status, sex, God's love compels us to love everyone. The prisoner in the jail, the prostitute on the street, the politician across the aisle, the person caught up in sin. Jesus' love is for all, irregardless of their background, irregardless of who they are or what they've done. In fact, Jesus went so far to say that we are to love our enemies. In Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, You've heard it, it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Friend, not only did Jesus teach us that we should love our enemies, he showed us how to do it. As he was dying, Jesus prayed this prayer. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He prayed for the Jewish leaders who clamored for his death. Father, forgive them. He prayed for those Roman soldiers who drove the spikes into his hands and feet. Father, forgive them. He prayed for those soldiers who gambled for his clothes at the foot of the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Friend, can you pray that prayer today? Can you pray for that person who has hurt you? That person who said unkind things about you? The person who lied to you? The person who stole from you? The person who made fun of you? The person who mocked you? The person who abused you? That person who left you? Can you say, and pray earnestly, Father, forgive them, for they really didn't know what they were doing. Because I believe with all of my heart, Lord, 
that just as Satan blinded my eyes to your truth at one point in my own life, Satan has blinded them to the truth. And that's why they act the way they do. Friend, Jesus loved not only good people, but also bad people. He loved not only the righteous, he loved the sinner as well. He showed that we cannot mistreat people no matter what they have done or who they are. His love was new in its extent. It included all people. Not only that, Jesus' love became new in its experience. You see, God's love is not new, yet it is new to the person who experiences it for the first time at conversion. The people of God have been enjoying God's love throughout the ages, throughout history. But if you're a believer, a new believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you experience, just like the man at the Moody Church in Chicago, God's love was not new that night in Chicago. It is as old as history. But for that man who came into that church that night and saw that those words, God is love, God's love was new for him in that he had never experienced it before. Maybe you've never experienced the love of God. Friend, God's love is as old as time. But God's love is new as well. And it may be that today, God has brought you here to experience His love for the first time in your own life. Look again at what Jesus said in John chapter 13. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, the only way people can tell that we are Christ's disciples is by our love for one another. Friend, our discipleship, our knowledge of God can't be measured by church attendance or how many Bible studies we lead or how beautifully we sing in the choir or how many diapers we change back in the nursery or meals we prepare and take to those who are sick or grieving. No. Our love is measured, or our knowledge of God, our walk with God is measured by our love for Him and for others. A person knows God has the love of God within his or her heart. Well, that's the first thing that John, he gives us a theology of Christ's love. But now I want you to see, he gives a test of the Christian's love in verses 9 through 11. Let's look. For the fifth time in this letter, John points out an inconsistency between a person's talk and their walk. It's so easy to say one thing with our lips and deny the truth with our lives. 
Look what he says. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now look, a person either hates or loves. And whichever one is true, if one hates, they will find themselves walking in darkness. If they love, they will find themselves walking in the light of Christ. So let's look here. There are two different people. The one who loves his brother is mentioned in verse 10. John says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. John says two things about the person who loves his brother. First of all, he abides in the light. And second, there's nothing in him to make him stumble, to make him fall, to make him fail. Because of his love for God and his love for others, as Jesus said, love is the fulfillment of the law. Therefore, I, if I truly love people, if I truly love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and I love others as I love myself, then I'm not going to fail the law, the commandments of God consistently. Oh, none of us are perfect. But the pattern, the habit of our lives will be to live in consistent obedience and righteousness before God. You say, well, I hear what you're saying, Rick, but how does that, what does that look like? How do I love my brother? I hear people say all the time, you know, I know the Bible says that I am to love everyone, but does that mean that I have to like them too? My response to that is, no. There are going to be things about people, even within your own family, that you don't like. But that doesn't mean that we are not called to love them. Do you think God liked everything about us? I don't think so. But yet, God still loved us. Well, how do we love people? Take your, take your Bible and turn real quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. To Paul's chapter on love. Here's the way we love other people. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 beginning in verse 4. Paul says this about love. He says, first of all, love is patient. That means it, it endures long. It puts up with people in other words. Love is kind. It treats them good. It treats them kindly. It shows them that they matter. Love does not envy. It's not jealous, in other words. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. It's not puffed up or prideful. It's not rude or disrespectful. Love does not insist on its own way. In other words, love is not selfish. Love is not self-seeking. It doesn't insist on one's rights. Love is not irritable. In other words, it's not touchy or angry. Love is not resentful. It harbors no evil thought about someone. 
Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. In other words, it doesn't rejoice in sin and evil and injustice. Love rejoices with the truth and that which is good, that which is right, that which is just. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It endures all things. In other words, it perseveres. Even when it is hard, it perseveres. John says, this is the man, this is the woman who walks in the light. The one who loves his brother. But then he mentions the one who hates his brother. Look in verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, the tense of the verb here for hate is present and it suggests habitual action. In other words, the one who lives in a state of mind that is always angry and resentful and hateful towards others. John says, if we are in the light but hate our brother, we're actually still in the darkness. Not only that, we walk in darkness. We don't know where we're going because the darkness has blinded our eyes. Hatred has distorted our perspective. It has stolen our ability to see. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus equates killing with hating. Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart towards someone, if you have hate in your heart towards someone, we are guilty of murder. Friend, listen. Satan, the prince of darkness, uses hatred to cause spiritual blindness. We cannot say, I know Jesus and hate anyone. Anyone, no matter who they are or what they've done. If hatred characterizes our life, then we are still in the darkness. Not just in the darkness. We walk in darkness and are not living according to the light of the gospel. Corey Timboom in her book, Reflections of God's Glory tells about a time in Africa when she was holding a meeting and a man came to the meeting with bandages over both of his hands. And she saw the man, she was introduced to him, and she asked him, what happened to your hands? Why are they bandaged? He said, my neighbor's roof was on fire and I helped to put it out. And my hands were burned in the process. It was only later that Corey Timboom said she found out the whole story. But the man who had the injured hands lived next door to a man who hated him. 
And the neighbor who hated him had set his house on fire, his straw roof on fire. And it was in the evening, late at night, when his wife and children were asleep. And they were in danger. And the man fought hard to put the fire on his own house out. We got the fire out. But sparks from the fire of his roof had been carried by the wind next door to the neighbor's house who had started the fire. And his roof caught on fire. And the man with the injured hands, after putting the fire out in his own house, went immediately over to the man's house who had started the fire of his house and fought hard to put the fire out in the guy's house who had tried to burn his own house down with his wife and children asleep inside. And he said to Corey Timboon, while I was putting out the fire in my neighbor's house, I burned my hands. Friend, there was a Christian. There was a man who had no hatred in his heart for anyone, including a neighbor who tried to burn his house down with his wife and children inside. There was a man who could honestly say, I know God. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And as such, I am compelled to show love towards everyone in the same way that God showed love to me. I ask you this morning, Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? If you are, if we claim to know Christ as Savior and Lord, then love, not hate.